Welcome to the Revenue Engine Podcast. I'm your host, Rosalind Santa Elena, and I am thrilled to bring you the most inspirational stories from revenue generators, innovators, and disruptors, revenue leaders in sales, in marketing, and of course, in operations. Together, we will unpack everything that optimizes and powers the revenue engine. Powered by the Sales IQ Are you ready? Let's get to it. Andy Paul is a legend in the sales space. He was doing podcasts before podcasts were cool. He's not only the host of multiple podcasts, but he's also a longtime sales leader, a coach and consultant, and a best-selling author. Today's podcast is sponsored by Outreach.io. Outreach is the first and only engagement and intelligence platform built by revenue innovators, for revenue innovators. Outreach allows you to commit to accurate sales forecasting, replace manual processes with real-time guidance, and unlock actionable customer intelligence that guides you and your team to win more often. Traditional tools don't work in a hybrid sales world. Find out why Outreach is the right solution at click.outreach.io slash revengine. In this episode of the Revenue Engine podcast, Andy shares his perspective, his lessons learned, and his advice for others as a culmination of 30 years of experience. Learn about selling without selling out, how to embrace selling behaviors that are aligned with your values, how to create a positive buying experience, and so much more. So please take a listen to this episode Grab a notebook because you'll definitely want to take notes. So excited to be here today with Andy Paul, who has way too many accomplishments to even properly introduce him in a one-liner. Andy's currently the founder at The Sales House, but he's also a longtime sales leader. He's a coach, consultant, speaker, and author. And that's just to name a few things. So welcome, Andy, and thank you so much for joining me. I'm so excited to just unpack your story and learn about learn more about you and your journey. All right, well, Rosalind, well, thank you for having me on the show. Awesome, awesome. So let's talk a little bit about that career journey and some of your backstory, mm. right? You know, kind of prior to starting your own business. I mean, you've had a long, impressive career in, you know, various sales roles, business development roles. And I saw that your first job was selling shoes at JCPenney. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. In, in high school, I was a <laughs> you know, holiday staff added for the holiday rush and yeah, sold women's shoes. That's awesome. So can you share more maybe about how you started, you know, how does how you started out in sales and, you know, what did that journey look like? Yeah. Well, you don't have to start in women's shoes. That's for <laughs> sure. My first professional job was was selling computer systems and to sort of mid-sized companies, primarily in the construction industry was sort of one of my specialties. And yeah, not too far from where you were. I'm in the Bay Area, based out of Oakland. And yeah, it was it was a shock. What else can you say? Never been, I mean, selling shoes is one thing, but going out and making cold calls is a completely different thing. You have an introvert. It was a hard transition to, to make. and But it was, yeah, the time was great training because, or experience, let's say, because, yeah, I, we got kicked out of the office every morning at 8.30, and we went out to wherever we're going to make calls. I had a line of business, not a geographic territory, but still, you know, I'd head to a, a place where there were a lot of concentration of construction companies and 
Yeah, we just get out of the car and make calls. So, yeah, it was it was great. Like I said, great experience to go out, be in in person, face to face, with having to navigate through receptionists and admins and so on, and be able to speak with decision makers. And what I learned relatively early on was that because I I knew nothing about business, I knew nothing about construction industry, as most people coming out of college don't, and but I found that that CEOs and business owners would spend time with me, would invest their time with me. And it was because I was curious. I was asking questions. I, I was never comfortable being in the real heavy sort of pitch mode and not, not a hyper personality and not one of these people go out and you know, dream to give my pitch to somebody I don't know. But instead just try to engage in conversation and really understand what was important to them, but also just I was interested in their business and I wanted to learn what they were doing. And they sensed, I guess, that I was there and authentically and sincerely interested. They gave me their time. So for me, the first couple of years of my career were like an MBA, just learning from business owners. That's awesome. You know, you've you've shared that, you know, the inspiration, I think, for starting your com- your own company like over 20 20- 20 years ago, right? I think it's back to 2000 mm. was your experience of sort of assuming a responsibility for your own career, right? And you kind of talked a little bit about this, about this curious and learning and always asking questions and trying mm. to figure things out, which kind of is, you know, kind of a natural fit, right? I think into sales, but using sort of that day-to-day learning, you're always growing to, you know, power your way to success. Can you talk more maybe about this and, you know, how this inspiration took you down this, you know, career path, kind of this coach and advisor path? Yeah, I mean, it it is not a straight line. And I think this is an important lesson for a lot of people is that I look at life as being sort of a matter of chapters, right? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, my first chapter was, was selling computer systems, you know, field sales. The next chapter actually I was, you know, inside with, well, I worked at Apple in the early days, you know, in oh, a, wow. a staff role and, and it's sort of a marketing channel, marketing channel sales roles. And then... Next chapter was enterprise sales, and the next chapter was starting my own thing. Is, but even then, as as once I started my own thing, it was I was start off as a consultant. I my real expertise at that point in time was how do you sell really big deals working for small companies that have no brand name, no track record, and I'd found that a lot of smaller companies were hesitate to go hesitant to go out and and compete for bigger pieces of business because they're afraid that they couldn't compete. So. Yeah, I worked with a number of companies to help them in that regard. And then I decided to write my first book and I had wanted to do it for a long time. And that opened up a whole other chapter, right? <laughs> so from doing just a lot of consulting work and a lot of sort of fractional VP work to, yeah, people wanted to read what I wrote. And so it led to multiple books and then the podcast we started seven years ago. So it's it's... I couldn't have predicted any of that. If you'd asked me, gosh, maybe not 10 years ago at this point, but let's say 12 (laughs) years ago at this point, before I started writing my first book, would I be at this position today? I could not have anticipated that at all. Wow. You know, kind of looking back at those years, I mean, is there anything that maybe you wish you knew then that you know now, or maybe any advice for others who are thinking about going out on their own? Well, I think, I, I don't think it has to do specifically with going out on your own. I think that one of the fabulous things about today that didn't exist when I started my career are tools like, let's say, LinkedIn, right? Is, is 
Because I think it's really important to be able to establish a real sense of confidence in who you are as a salesperson, right? As what do you stand for? What do you, when you are going out and talking to a buyer, what do you want them to perceive you to be, right? How do you want them to receive you? And the vast, vast, vast majority of salespeople just go about their daily work and just don't even really think about this. And so I think that getting back to LinkedIn, I think one of the important things about that is, is you need to not just be an observer on the platform, but use that as an opportunity to start creating, right? Is, is what do you stand for? What do you believe in? And it doesn't mean you have to have this huge audience and so on, but it's just get in the habit of, of putting yourself out there and saying, yeah, these are things that are important to me. These are things I think about in this profession or in this industry that I serve. And start you know, building up who you are. And it's through the act of actually writing and talking about these things that you begin to understand, right? Is, is I thought I knew exactly why I did certain things in sales and so on. But it wasn't until I really started getting involved in writing about it that it's like, oh, yeah, that's what I did. Oh, yeah, this is, <laughs> yeah, now that, yeah, I confirmed or, or maybe I found out something completely different about myself. So I think it's really important for people who are younger in their careers, take advantage of the resources that exist, social media, so, I mean, particularly LinkedIn if you're in sales, and start putting yourself out there and define who you are. You know, there's a stat that was in a recent book written by several authors from, I think the lead author is Jennifer Colosimo, president of a division at Franklin Covey. It's called Strikingly Different Selling. And they'd commissioned this research firm to go out and do this in-depth research, talk to thousands of people on the buy side and B2B buying. And what they came found was that from the buyer's perspective, virtually half of sellers, that number I think was 42%, but let's just round it up to half. The buyers considered half of sellers to be completely unmemorable. Well, that's that's on you as an individual, right? You can <laughs> right. change that. You don't have to be unmemorable. You, But if you're just sort of going along with the flow and you're just you know, following the steps that are laid out for you by your boss or whatever, then, yeah, you're just going to be one of those people that buyers just don't remember. And the fact is, at the end of the day, it's research has shown is that more than half of the buyer's decision is based on their experience working with you as an individual seller, the experience you create for them. So this, this idea is the thing that I think people should learn and be really focused on is, yeah, who are you? Who do you want to be? How do you want to be perceived by the people you're dealing with? And that doesn't happen by accident. And... It requires operating with a level of intention that doesn't exist for most sellers. Yeah, yeah, that is great advice. And I, I, I think about how the social media is just such a, I'm obviously exploded the last, you know, I don't know, five, 10, I guess maybe even longer now years. But back then there wasn't that, right? There were literally business cards, yellow pages, right? You're literally mm -hmm. flipping through a book and then you have to actually, you know, Walk, what, what do they used to say? Pound the pavement, right? You've actually got to go out to somebody's physical location to get FaceTime yep. versus now you can reach, you know, just a volume, so this huge, a larger volume of the people, your population, just be out there just easily at your fingertips from your home. Yeah, or from anywhere. But I, I think that, yeah, that's absolutely true. But combine that with the fact that when you reach out to people, if they, before they make a decision, they want to talk to you, what do they do? 
They look you up on LinkedIn. That's right. <laughs> and what are they going to find when they go there? Somebody with no connections, someone with no followers, someone with no posts, someone with no activity, just sort of a cipher, somebody that's just you know, bland. Yeah. How does that help you? It doesn't. And so I'm not saying everybody has to be as active on LinkedIn as I am. You know, I post multiple times a day, but that's, that's my business, right? I mean, that's... As a salesperson, though, is, you know, look at people who are in some cases now transitioning into becoming thought leaders and hugely successful individuals, contributors. They started a while ago sort of putting themselves out there and helping define, not letting somebody else define them, but defining themselves for the buyers. I think that's really important for, for people to keep in mind. That's great advice. Thank you for sharing that. I think that's that's really great advice. You know, I think about, you know, for more than two decades, I mean, you've been advising, you've been consulting, you've been coaching, mm. and then obviously you've written a number of books, right? I so say you have zero time selling, you have amp up your sales, mm. and I think most recently the sell without selling out, which I love. Right. <laughs> I oh, love the you. title. <laughs> and, you know, I saw, you know, on your website about your third book, you know, about making the choice to turn your back on the cringe word kind of the cringeworthy mm. salesy behaviors, right, that are embedded in modern sales. And I think that really resonates with a lot of people, definitely resonates with me being on one side of the house kind of enabling sales, right, and revenue teams to go out and sell and, you know, build out their brand and, you know, obviously sell more product, but also on the other side, being a recipient of all of these sales calls and outreaches, right? So it definitely yeah. resonates with me. So can you talk a little bit about, you know, sort of what was the inspiration for writing this particular book and maybe how each of those books are different? Sure. Well, the inspiration for this one really came from the work I do with clients and all the interviews I've held on my show and talking to sales leaders and salespeople is this this thought, which I firmly believe, that despite all of the advantages of technology that we have, when it comes to B2B selling, we're actually not getting any better at it. <laughs> and why is that the case? Why shouldn't why shouldn't we be so much better at it than we were 10, 15, 20 years ago? And and some people make the case that arguably we're we're worse at it than we were 10, 15, 20 years ago. And so I wanted to explore that. And, and for me, what it really boiled down to is that we've become so reliant on process and methodologies and technologies that we've sort of strayed away from this idea that, hey, this is still a human business. Sell, selling is still a human business. And we know from research that their buyers are making their decisions in large part based upon their experience with the human seller, why aren't we focused more on that aspect of things as being sort of the missing piece in our ability to perform at higher levels? Because it hasn't, technology hasn't proven that. Technology has enabled us to do more things, but I make the case, and others that others make it as well, is that you know, if you say how much revenue is a gener is a salesperson generating per hour of selling time today, that's our basic unit of productivity today versus twenty years ago, that hasn't changed. In fact, again, arguably perhaps even less than it was. So, I just wanted to address what I thought was the missing piece, which is yeah, we we do a great job of training humans how to be sellers. What we're not doing very well is, is training sellers how to be human. And it's the being human part that enables 
them to be more effective with their buyers. And I think ultimately increase their win rates, which to me is, is sort of the the bottom line for most sellers. Yep, and that actually kind of feeds right into sort of my next question was around, you know, one of those concepts in that framework that you presented in this book is around creating that positive buying experience, right? Mm -hmm. That shortens decision mm -hmm. cycles, it increases win rates, which is what, you know, all of us want, right? We want more revenue faster, right? So shorter cycle <laughs> times and better conversion. So what are you seeing, I guess, you know, you touched on this already a little bit, but what are you seeing some of the organizations really doing wrong when it sort of, when it comes to creating that positive buying experience, you know, I guess what other advice do you have for them? Well, I mean, it's, it's a lot of it just is due to sort of traditional sales behaviors that, that unfortunately seem to be embedded in the culture. And it's almost like we have to help people unlearn these things. And yeah, I talk about cringeworthy behaviors. I mean, certainly <laughs> one is, is, and I see it all the time as, as I'm the recipient of it. I'm sure other people are. <laughs> is, you know, people doing sort of mass outreach, just not even giving a care really about researching the individual they're reaching out to, trying to personalize or even more so humanize the message that they're sending. I mean, we can certainly personalize and throw first names in there and grab other data to more, you know, personalize it. But is it really, you know, are you connecting with the person? Are you really humanizing it? Example I always like to give with in my case is, is gosh, how this happens relatively frequently <laughs> is people that reach out and suggest that on LinkedIn, as a matter of fact, they usually reach out and suggest that I'd be a, a great candidate to start my own podcast. And I'm like, okay, you realize I've been doing this for seven years. I've got... <laughs> Nearly 1,100 <laughs> episodes. It's not a secret. You know, if you spend 20 seconds, yeah, yeah, even doing a Google search for me, you'll, this will come up. And so I, I actually, I called somebody once. I usually don't because I, you know, don't want to sound obnoxious and say, oh, you know, hey, you're doing this wrong. But I just, one was so egregiously bad, I reached out to the person and said, you know, you realize if you're contacting me on LinkedIn, if you'd spent even 20 seconds looking at my profile before you messaged me, you would have found out, hey, I do have a podcast. And the response was, well, yeah, but we don't have time. Oh my goodness. But this is this is not this is not uncommon. We all experience it. And yet it's still occurring at a high rate. Or, yeah, people coming in and and we train sellers to pitch before they really understand what the buyer needs. Mm -hmm. But what's the value of that, right? Is why are we pitching before we understand what's important to the buyer? And that just creates this disconnect where suddenly from in the mind of the buyer, the seller's just there looking out after their own interests, yeah. right? And in my book, that's, yeah, that is the very definition of what I call selling out is when you put your interest ahead of those of the buyer, right? I'm, I'm here to persuade you to buy my product. Mm -hmm. Well, but you don't understand anything about me. Well, it doesn't really matter because my job is to persuade you to buy my product, and this, unfortunately, is the way a lot of selling is conducted. And it's, I think when you begin to educate people, and people read my book and sort of get their eyes opened up, it's like, oh, yeah, I don't have to do it this way. Even though I'm sort of even being encouraged or trained to do it this way, I don't need to do it this way. I need to grab control of how I sell because that's not who I am as a human being. Mm -hmm. And if I can show up as a better human version of myself to my buyers... 
I increase my odds of being able to connect with them in a conversation and have them you know, build a level of trust while they're open up to me about things that are most important to, me, to them that then enables to you know, start down the path of, of making a decision ultimately. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. I think, you know, I've I've obviously been the recipient of a number of outreach kind of emails out to me. Similarly, you know, at, you know, sell, trying to sell me something for a company that I haven't been at for three years, right? Oh, and if, again, after, yeah. if they just do a quick look at, you know, what I do or what I'm doing, or they try to sell me the same services that the organization that I work for today, exactly what we provide, <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of that. And I just feel like, you know, to your point, I feel like it's getting, it's actually getting worse in the way of, you know, having some automation and having the data and having some of this technology where people are just almost become lazy, right? Where they're just using the technology right. and just kind of sending out these templates and not doing the research before they, before they actually yeah. reach out. And I think, sure, I don't imply that, yeah, all salespeople are lazy because that's certainly well, not, not the at case. All. I mean, it's, yeah. it's, it's a hard, it's a hard, hard job. And, yes. But, but there's people are sort of encouraged to act this way, and yeah, there's always this debate about, oh, we're too focused on activity levels versus the quality of what we're doing and so on. And they're not mutually exclusive. The fact is that as much as people hate sort of when you say it, as sales ultimately is a numbers game. We all have we all have ratios. Right, it's <laughs> I tracked mine for decades in terms of yeah we had so many outreaches yield so many conversations yield to certain many meetings yield to proposals whatever we all have them. The point people are missing is is that we're doing too much of the activity to yield a conversation that yields you know a meeting that yields whatever that we want, and that's that's the problem in my mind is too little focus on the quality of what we're doing so that, and a perfect example, one I unfortunately sort of harp on too much perhaps on podcasts, including my own, but, you know, win rates are really low across the board in so many industries and unnecessarily so. And it's partially because we've, we've become so adept at generating deal flow through the funnel mm-hmm. that yeah, we get a little complacent in terms of what the win rate should be. And I just start with the argument is, you know, if you are consistently winning less than 50% of your qualified opportunities, then what you're doing is you're getting more practice losing than you're getting practice winning. Yeah, yeah. And that in any profession, I think, is really problematic. Yeah, you know, it affects your confidence and yeah, you know, various other factors going forward. So, so yeah, and, you know, the bottom line is you should engineer your processes to say, well, what do we have to do to yield a higher win rate? Mm-hmm. And maybe that changes the quantity of activities we need to do t- further up in our funnel in order to get to that point. It may be that we do fewer things. And I would again would make the argument to. And I have on my podcast to guys that see them, guests are like CEOs of companies that are sort of focused on top of funnel activities. And I'll say, I don't think the issue is that we don't have enough opportunities in sales these days. Is we have too many. Yep, yep. And as a result, we're not paying enough attention on the things we need to do in terms of really effective discovery and qualification. And we should, if we're doing that well, we should end up working fewer opportunities and closing a higher fraction of them and we'll achieve the same end result. But 
in a much less, you know, I don't know <laughs> the word I started escaping, but in a way that much less, in a way that much less likely to cause burnout and other frustrations that you get with sellers that are just, yeah, overwhelmed. Yeah, yeah, definitely better efficiencies and just a better experience for the buyer, right? And better, exp- oh, exactly. better brand. I mean, just a whole better experience and better outlook for the organization. Yeah, instead of sort of this, as I sometimes call it, drive-by selling. Yeah. Which, <laughs> yeah, when you have low win rates, that's basically what you're doing. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess that kind of feeds into the next question around, you know, obviously you've had an opportunity to work with so many different sales organizations over the years. I'm sure you've seen lots of ups and downs, you know, changes with sales, Mm. trends, methodologies, right? Different approaches. And I'm sure there's been a lot that are pretty good and some bad, you know, some that have kind of outlasted the time and some that probably have died out really quickly. You know, and I think with all the shifts and the changes and, you know, just the pivots over the years, right? We talked about, you know, the explosion in technology. You know, Mm -hmm. just you think about the global pandemic and just the market, kind of the changes in the volatility that have been happening over the last couple of years, especially. What are you seeing, I guess, in the industry? And do you have any predictions for kind of where sales is headed next? Mm, Yeah, I don't know. (laughs) It's, I mean, yeah. It was a famous, Niels Bohr's famous Danish physicist who was back in the, you know, part of the Manhattan Project developing the atomic bomb and he said, you know, paraphrasing, he said, you know, prediction is really hard, especially when it's about the future. And yeah, I mean, it is hard. <laughs> I mean, we're going to see more automation come into the space. We're going to see a you know, greater role, obviously, of, of AI and machine learning taking over, you know, really repetitive tasks. And we're seeing some of that already. And I'm sure we'll see more of that. But one thing I don't see is I don't see a, a lessening of importance of the human in the whole transaction. And I think there's a lot of people that think that, hey, we can just, we're going to get to a point where we're just going to dispense with with humans and it's just going to be you know, machine to machine. And yeah, I'm sure in some environments that will be the case. You know, things that are highly transactional. Sure. Because, you know, Neil Rackham wrote, you know, Spin Selling, wrote a great book called Rethinking the, the Salesforce, or Rethinking the Modern Salesforce, I forget the exact title. But he wrote it a little over 20 years ago. But I always remember this, this part of the book where he said is, is that, you know, when all other things are equal, buyers are going to choose to buy from the channel that adds the least cost to the transaction. So when you think about that in a more transactional environment, then, yeah, over time you can see, okay, yeah, you don't need, you're not going to need the people. But that's still such a broad, that's, you know, just a fraction of what we do. There's still such a broad swath of, of products and services that are sold that are complex by nature, are not transactional, require humans to be involved. And I think the role of humans in that environment is as even more automation goes into the, comes into those sales environments. You have to think about the role of the human as being the differentiator. Yeah. Right again, is is it's true today? If you look at many markets, yeah. I, one market I always like to talk about is like the conversational intelligence space, where maybe three or four years ago there were half a dozen companies in that space. Now there's literally dozens, dozens. Mm-hmm. So if you're a buyer in that space, is well, how do you choose? Right, the products and services are basically all alike. Mm-hmm. They offer the barrier to entry is obviously pretty low because all these companies have jumped into it. Mm-hmm. And so when somebody's looking to make a decision, 
if everything else is equal from a product and a pricing standpoint, what makes the difference? And more often than not, that difference is their experience with the salesperson. Yeah. So you as a human retain this ability, and I think your ability to, to be the difference. And I think, well, actually, this, this will become more important going forward. And so if, if you as a salesperson are just going to be a bland, vanilla salesperson, just a rotely following this process and playbook laid out for you, yeah, life could be tough yeah. in this profession. But if you're one that's constantly learning and adapting and really leaning into your curiosity and learning how to effectively connect with other human beings that are your buyers and helping them make yeah, more informed decisions, then yeah, there's always going to be a role for you. Yeah. And yeah. perhaps even a more important role. Yeah, I love that. And 100%. I mean, as a buyer, I think, you know, who we buy from, you know, who we trust, we have that credibility, we have that relationship with that person mm -hmm. is much more important. I mean, I, I've oftentimes even paid more, you know, to have that you know, you have that relationship and that credibility because Sometimes. you have that yeah. partnership, right? Price is important and all these other factors, but yeah, definitely is people buy from people, right? And they mm -hmm. buy from people that they trust. So 100%. Well, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, yes. In general, I think that's, that's true. And it's, it's, I think sellers just have to keep in mind, and this is hard for salespeople to think about, but I like to ask a salesperson a question which is, all right, think back to the last deal you won. What was your margin of victory? How much did you win by? And people are like, confused, what are you, what are you talking about? Yeah. <laughs> it's like, well, no, I mean, were you 5% better than the competition? 10% better than the competition? Can you even quantify it? And the answer is no, mm -hmm. you can't quantify it. So you have to keep in perspective that really, you only have to be 1% better <laughs> than the competition. Yeah. And it's hard to know what that 1% is. But I think when you think about this idea as a salesperson, as well, yeah, I'm selling a product that's yeah, not exactly a commodity, but you know, the example you have before, conversational intelligence, it's got tons of competitors out there. In the minds of the buyer, we're basically all alike. Mm. How am I going to stand out? Well, that's the right question. How are you? going to stand out, you as a salesperson, because that's going to be the difference maker. You are the tiebreaker, yeah. not your product. You are the tiebreaker. Yeah. And so, yeah, you only said you only have to be 1% better to win. Well, yeah. what's that 1% that, that could be, hey, you really asked some great questions that got them to think more deeply and broadly about the challenges they faced mm -hmm. and perhaps even the outcomes they could achieve that they hadn't really thought about before. Well, that's some value mm -hmm. to them, right? Or you help them get through their process more. You know, that every time they interact with you, is a, they consider it a good use of their time. Hey, you stood out because, believe me, not many salespeople can make that claim. Yeah. So it's these little that add up and it's just, I said, you just have to think about it. You just have to be 1% better. What's, how, what's that margin? Those are the actions that you take that you are completely in control of as an individual. Oh, that, that's really great advice. I really like that. You know, as I think about the revenue engine, I think about this podcast, I always hope, you know, others will be able to learn how to accelerate growth, right? Revenue growth and really power that revenue engine. As someone who's, you know, been in the trenches for, you know, 30, <laughs> 30 plus years from your perspective, you know, what are the top maybe two or three things you think that all revenue leaders should really be thinking about today to help grow and retain revenue? Why? Yeah, focus on win rates. Learn how to sell. 
I mean, this is, uh, <laughs> you think about it, is, is we're heading into an environment where the economy is going to slow down. I mean, it is slowing down. Whether we go into a recession or not, you know, who knows, right? Knows, but we yeah. are in for a period of slower growth, if not actually, you know, negative growth. So if you're in an environment where you've got tons of competitors, as I described before as one example, you've got more, or basically you have the same number of competitors competing for a smaller pool of dollars, right? Because mm -hmm. people are going to slow spending down there. It's going to spread it out. Well, when you're in that environment, then that becomes way more competitive. And if you don't know how to actually sell, if you don't know what you need to do to differentiate yourself in the eyes of the buyer to win the business, and you still think it's about product and pricing, then that's going to be hugely problematic for you. And I think companies are seeing it already. So if you're a revenue leader, you need to focus on learning how to, what do we do that wins business? Mm -hmm. And if you're not heavily engaged talking or in having a consulting firm come in and help you, understand why you're winning right? Understand the experience your buyers are having with your salespeople and how that influences the decisions they're making. If you're not doing that, then you know, it's not about training your people more. It's always good to do more training. Mm -hmm. But that's sort of the default that people want to go to is, oh, let's do more training. It's like, yeah, we've trained people within an inch of their lives. Is what we need to do is teach them, as I mentioned before, is not how to become better sellers, how to become better humans, right? Mm -hmm. To be the differentiation. And so focus on that. Be really conscious about how do I want my salespeople to be received and perceived when they go talk to buyers? And this is not as a result of, yeah, training you in the sales methodology. It's no, you got to really focus on them as individuals and understand that every person on your team is going to go out and they're going to represent themselves differently than the other people on their team because they're, they're unique human beings. So how are you going to work with them, coach them to ensure that they show up as the best version of themselves? I love that. And sort of move away from this idea that you can make everybody a clone of each other. And, you know, the technology we have is great. Conversational intelligence, you know, it's perfect. One of the greatest learning tools that exists for salespeople if we use it the right way. Yeah. And... It can be used the right way, but it's again it's used to help people become the best version of themselves because I don't sell like you. You don't sell like me. No one sells like me. I don't sell like anybody else, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, if there are 5 million salespeople in the world, there are 5 million unique ways to sell. And when you look at, you know, people are <laughs> chronically successful in sales. They're all going to be different. They all do things slightly differently. So, Yeah. You can be the best version of yourself if you get the right support from your leadership. And that's what leaders should be focused on is, you know, how do I develop my individuals to go out and represent themselves as, as this unique, differentiated, you know, curious individual. Whoops, I knocked my microphone over. And really understand from your buyer's perspective what they need from your salespeople. And this is, a, is another, you know, missing link. because. Talk to sales leaders, they're going to get ready to hire people. And I'll ask, well, what are you looking for? What are you hiring for? And you always get sort of the same things that they want. <laughs> oh, experienced person, yeah, blah, 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 blah. And then I'll say, great. So if you ask your buyers what they need from your salespeople. Because they have a job. They, they, they've got a job to be done. Your buyers basically hire your salespeople to help mm -hmm. them 
get a job done, which is to make a decision on this particular product or service they're looking at. So if they're hiring you to get, help them get a job done, what are the qualifications and attributes they need from your salespeople? And are you aligning those in any way? That's, that's really great advice. I like that. And never thought about, I think when people ask when they're interviewing salespeople, they are always asking about, oh, we want this experience. We want them to have sold to this persona. We want them to, you know, have done, you know, whatever different types of performance metrics. But think mm. about what is it that your buyer needs? I like that perspective of the fact that they are, your buyer is hiring your sales rep to help you with some task, right? To make a decision. That's well, awesome. what buyers, and I talk about this in my book, but buyers are very, their job's pretty simple. <laughs> yeah. They want to, I mean, it's complex and there's, you know, but at heart, if you want to describe it, their job that they're trying to get accomplished is they want to quickly gather and make sense of the information they need mm -hmm. to make an informed decision with the least investment of their time, attention, and resources possible. That's what yeah. they want. Help me gather and make sense of this information. Mm -hmm to make an informed decision without having to spend endless amount of time on it. Yep. And if yep. you can accomplish that, and I lay out the path how to do that in the book, is yeah, you're going to be in a much better position than your competitors. That's great. Well, thank you so much for joining me, Andy. But you know, as My we pleasure. wrap up, yeah, thank you. But sure. as we wrap up and before I let you go, I always ask guests two things. Sure. So one, you know, what is the one thing about you that others might be surprised to learn? <laughs> and and two, what is the one thing that you want everyone to know about you? Oh gosh. Sometimes it's the same thing. I have guests that say it's kind of the same thing. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. I mean, it's it's. Yeah, I'm not, you know, other than LinkedIn, I'm not really sort of active on social. So you don't see a lot about me out there. Well, I don't know. Gosh. <laughs> I split my time between New York City and San Diego. I go back and forth. I don't know. That's that's hugely interesting, but it's fun. It's, you know, fun to yeah. be on both on coasts. On both uh, coasts, yeah. I, I you know, married the, was fortunate enough to be able to marry the first <laughs> love of my life 38 years after we met. Wow. Uh, which served. Uh, back in 2010, we just had our anniversary, our 12th anniversary. And yeah, so my wife, I met when she was in New York at San Diego. So we got married. We sort of adopted this back and forth lifestyle, which is fun. Yeah. Not as fun during pandemic, but. <laughs> yeah, love that. And love that. things to remember about me is, well, for me, it's, you know, if you read my my stuff, it's, I'm a huge believer that it's, it's all about you. You are the difference maker. You as the human are the difference maker at the end of the day. And you should welcome that as a salesperson to know that, yeah, you can make the differences. And yeah, is it just, it's not all about hard work. It's, it's about learning. It's about being curious, it's about being open-minded, about being responsive, all attributes that you control. And yeah, my experience over decades has shown, and there's no way I'll ever be dissuaded from this, that, that yeah, at the end of the day, it's all about you. And you can make the difference. And that's what we're trying to help sellers become, the difference. I love that. Well, thank you so much, Andy, for your time. Really appreciate all of these great insights. And I can't wait to go back and listen. I always like to, after we go through the, the episode, I always like to go back and listen to everything and just kind of take notes and, you know, glean from it. Because to your point, always learning always learning and I learned so much. So thank you. Thank you for having me. It's been fun. Thank you.